to a recording it's not july 26 but we record live wednesday morning at nine and then tim plays it thursdays at five saturdays at three every single week and uh, thanks for tuning in to the voice of truth radio show on uh, praise fm radio and got my co-host with me pastor brian leversey we're the only show in america where you will experience the fusion of church and state so we also podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Today we've got uh, the consummate Christian historian Bill Federer coming on here in about uh, about ten minutes. You want to stay tuned for for this guy. He he has uh, just an encyclopedic knowledge of our history, of our Christian heritage, and uh, all we do, uh, Pastor, is. Is uh, like you said, wind him up and let him go, and don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. That's about just listen. <laughs> that's about that's about how it is. And folks, you will be blessed by this guy. We're going to give away a couple of his books. I ran into him at uh, the uh, NACL conference that I've talked about um, in Liberty about a month or so ago, and um, so the way to get him on the air is to buy his books. Hey. If I had books, that's what I'd want you to do if I was going to be on there. Exactly. So that's how I know how to uh, warm him up. But, you know, I've known him for, uh, not known him, but I've, I've known of him and been, uh, you could say, an acquaintance. But if, uh, uh, this is my radio show in Indiana, I used to have him on, which I refer, he doesn't remember those. He, he's, he's like nonstop traveling all over America on shows all the time. And uh, last time we had him on, he was in California, and when uh, when I saw him in Virginia at the Liberty the Conference at Liberty, he was on his way back out to California, which is good. We want mm-hmm. California to get all the biblical That's teaching it. as uh, that they can get. Um, so I've, we're going to give away a couple of his books. I bought a couple of his books, had him sign them. So he's got his Jan, uh, John Hancock there at the bottom, William J. Federer. Uh, they're on socialism. I thought if there is a if there is a need today, it's um, that our young people be taught the evils of socialism. So, the first two folks that email me at mikeazinger1965 at gmail dot com will uh, will get a copy of Socialism: The Real History from Plato to the Present by our. Uh, our guest, William Federer, who's coming up. and What's that email address again? Mike Azinger, 1965 at gmail.com. 1965 may or may not be the year I was born. I'm guessing it's a little earlier than that. <laughs> <laughs> that was an insult, I think. No, I meant the other way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever so, way doesn't hurt your feelings. Are you That's done with I mean. your uh, your uh, pseudo uh, stand-up here? <laughs> 
comedic show here. <laughs> All right, so we also may, if we have more than, uh, if we have a high demand in the email, I might uh, just buy a couple of his books called Who is the King in America? And that is that is uh, a book that basically the, the lesson he's going to give on the air here and the lesson uh, that I heard him give, the speech I heard him give at Liberty was on. Who's the king in America? Uh, in the history of the world, it's always been... Um, it's always been a dictatorship, essentially a king. Mm-hmm. You know, even Israel wanted even a king. Israel, when they hey, give us, we yeah. don't want you, God. Give us a king. Yeah. Okay, here's Saul. How'd that go? It didn't go too good. Here's David. David was a great king, but he certainly. Uh, I mean, how, how many times did God <laughs> judge Israel just for David's bad behavior? And uh, um, but we're gonna. We're going to, uh, we might just give away a couple of these too. Who's the King in America and his book on socialism, and we'll get them autographed. The socialism books I have right in front of me, and they're autographed. So, Mike Gazinger, 1965 at gmail.com. Uh, as soon as we cut out of here in about, uh, when we take a break here in just two or three minutes, and Tim's going to get them on the phone. We'll have him on probably half hour. I told him, you know, half hour, and he's good with that. He never says no. He's always like, yeah, man, I'll do it. And uh, we appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. He's actually the official historian of the National Association of Christian Legislators. Um, and uh, somebody I've admired for a lot of years. Uh, okay, after that, after we're done with that, <laughs> the Barbie movie. <laughs> I know, Pastor, you're dying to go see this. Oh, man. But um, this thing, the only reason I want to address it is because it is just, in terms of numbers, it's killing it. It is just mm. raking in the money. People are flocking mm. to see it. And this movie's bad, folks. It's bad. Uh, so Ben Shapiro wrote a, wrote a column on it that, um, I just ran into this morning, just uh, scrolling f- through my news feed. Uh, and we're going to pull that out, and j- I'm just going to read it. And I'm going to let you comment on, comment on it as we go. But the the, the article itself is, is powerful. Uh, Shapiro, he's not a born-again Christian. He's a, you know, a Jew. Jew. He's mm-hmm. a, a, a uh, I don't know what you call it, um, it's fairly orthodox. Conservative, yeah, orthodox yeah. Jew. And um, he just, he makes very good points. Um, I've known of Shapiro. I remember I had my radio show in Indiana uh, back in, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I started reading Shapiro's stuff on the air. I didn't know who he was. And I remember one particular column. I thought, oh, man, this guy is just nailing it. And I read it, I don't know how many times uh, on the air, but uh, now Shapiro, he's got, <laughs> he did, he went in, uh, he watched the movie to do a review on it, did a review on it, and it's got 60 million views. Wow. So that's good news. You know, he's getting the, the word out there, but he did a column also, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll do the column after we get Bill Federer on the air here. So we're going to cut out of here. Real quick, and let Tim call up Bill Federer. Stay tuned, folks, and uh, you'll be blessed. Uh, we had Bill Bill on, uh, I don't know, six months ago or so, and 
heard good good job. good stuff of how much people enjoyed them and we're gonna we're gonna do that again you're listening to the voice of truth radio show we'll be back with christian historian bill federer right after this All right, welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. Got my co-host here, Pastor Brian Leversee, the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. We podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. We also are on fa- Facebook, Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Is that what it is, Tim? Voice. Yeah. And I got a picture of our, uh, with my guest <clears throat> at one of our conferences. <laughs> Uh, Bill Federer, that uh, we both look very debonair in this picture, so we're going to put it on, on Facebook, <clears throat> and uh, I think it was from a conference or two ago, but um, thank you for coming on, Bill Federer, and uh, uh, just well, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Mike. And you are, as I told our audience, man, you're just an extraordinary historian and a great, uh, it's, a, it's like a feast when we get to hear you and listening to you. You're the official historian for the National Association of Christian Legislators, which I'm a part of. And uh, But I was told in the audience, you won't remember this, but I had you on my radio show in Indiana several times way back in... Uh, uh, I don't know, 2010 or 11, and we talked about your book one of the times, a uh, change to chains or chains to change, uh, change to chains. But um, you have copious books; all of them are great. I've read many of them, and every Christian, by the way, should have in their library your um, encyclopedia of quotations called "America's God and Country." But Bill, just uh, take a minute, tell folks who you are, and then we're going to get right into um, your your uh, lesson, for lack of a better term, on uh, on who is king, who is the king in America. Right. Well, I've written about uh, thirty books over the last thirty years, and I do a daily radio spot called American Minute, and a daily TV show called Faith in History on the TCT network, and. Uh, Ran for Congress a few times, didn't win, but came close, and um, then speaking all across the country, uh, mainly on American history and world history, which sort of brings us up to the topic today, and that's how unique America's form of government is, and where the ideas came from, and lo and behold, it goes back to the church, and it actually goes back to ancient Israel, and, uh, and I'm happy to get into that. Okay, before you start, let me. I just want to uh, remind folks of the uh, first emails I get, folks. I got books I'm giving away uh, by Bill Federer uh, that I I bought at the last conference we were together at, at Lynchburg. Socialism: The Real History from Plato to the Present. These are autographed copies. I got two of these. First two emails uh, at Mike Azinger, nineteen sixty five at gmail.com, mikeazinger1965 at gmail.com. And um, then um, if we get a lot of requests, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy and have you autograph, uh, Bill, if you don't mind, Who is the King in America? And that uh, I'm reading that one, and that's the one you're going to talk about now. But uh, proceed. Yeah, so um, 
I spent several years researching every single century of recorded human history to find out what the most common form of government is. And I go back to uh, Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. And there's even Neil deGrasse Tyson, an astrophysicist in his Cosmos TV series, uh, said, it was here between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers 5,000 years ago that we learned how to write. And so here's a secular astrophysicist thing. Writing was invented around uh, 5,000 years ago, which would be around 3,000 B.C. And so uh, the most common form of government is what? Uh, it's kings. You have 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs, kings of Assyria, kings of Babylon, kings of Persia, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Attila, and as the centuries go on, the kingdoms keep getting bigger. Because with military advancements, kings can kill more people. And instead of king killing able with a rock, they can kill with a bronze weapon or an iron weapon or a phalanx spear or a scimitar sword or a composite bow and arrow. Or uh, with technological advancements, kings can track more people. And so uh, Augustus Caesar uh, wanted to have a worldwide tracking system. It was called the census. If he could have had 5G and cell phones and cameras, he would have tracked people that way. Until finally, the King of England has the biggest empire that planet Earth had ever seen. Hmm. The King of England was a globalist. He was a one-world government guy with him at the top. And the British Empire had India, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, British Guyana, Canada, Barbados, Bermuda, Jamaica. I mean, it was enormous. The sun never set on the British Empire hmm. and America. And so America's founders decided they didn't like this globalist king telling us what to do. So they broke away and flipped it, made the people the king. And so the word citizen is Greek. It means co-king, co-ruler, co-sovereign. So kings have subjects who are subjected to their will. Democracies and republics have citizens. And so when we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands, we're basically pledging allegiance to us being in charge of ourselves. And so when somebody protests the flag, what they're saying is, I don't want to be the king anymore. I protest this system where I participate in ruling myself. It's like, okay, somebody else will tell you what to do. Um, and so America's founders uh, broke away. But the big question is, where did they get their idea? And um, it went back to uh, these New England pastors who got their ideas from the Reformation, who got their ideas from ancient Israel that first 400 years out of Egypt before King Saul. Mm. And so when Israel comes out of Egypt, where there's 2,000 years of, of Egyptian pharaohs, and it's thought to be around 1400 B.C., uh, for 400 years, Israel has this anomaly, this unique situation where you have millions of people and no king. And it worked because every single citizen was taught the law. Yeah. And they were taught that they were personally accountable to God to follow the law. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. You know you can get away with it. And then you think, God's watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable in the future. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it <laughs> creates something in your head called the conscience. All right. If, if everybody in the country believes this, you can maintain complete order with no police. And so this concept um, was studied in Europe after the Reformation. So a little background. Martin Luther starts the Reformation in 1517, yep. and you, ha you have populations uh, in, inside of a country converting and becoming Protestant, and some staying Catholic, and then you would have wars. And you had the uh, King of Spain, Philip II, in 1572, 
He sends the Iron Duke of Alba to Antwerp, Holland, to commit the Spanish Fury, and they kill 10,000 Protestants, leave their bodies in the streets. And then you have Catherine de' Medici, and she is the Queen of France. Uh, the king dies, and so she rules France through a young son, and uh, she decides she's going to marry her daughter Margaret to the main Protestant leader, Henry of Navarre. Big wedding in Paris. A couple days after the wedding, she has her soldiers pull chains across all the streets so carriages cannot go out of town. And then she sends her soldiers house to house, and they kill 30,000 Protestant leaders. Wow. It's called the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, August 23, 1572. And now there were Protestants killing Catholics, a lot of killing going on. We don't want to get into all that, but we're tracing where America came from. And so um, you have a problem with Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And so you have good kings and bad kings, and you just sort of suffer under the bad ones and pray for them. And um, But... There's a question. What do you do when the king has a mandate to kill your wife and kids? <laughs> Which was what was going on. Right. And so in the, French, in the French-speaking area of Switzerland, you have a guy named John Calvin. And he begins to write things like this. When kings disobey God, they automatically abdicate their worldly power. He wrote in his institutes, We are subject to the men who rule over us, but subject only in the Lord. If they command anything against him, let us not pay the least regard to it. What's he talking about? Well, there is a scripture, Ephesians 6, that says, Children, obey your parents. But what if there's a bad parent? And he tells the kid to sell drugs, sell themselves into prostitution, and kill the neighbor. Is the kid supposed to obey the parent and, and do that? Mm. No. The child obeys the parent as long as the parent is telling them to do something that lines up with God's word. And this is exactly what Martin Luther King Jr. wrote in his letter from the Birmingham Jail in 1963. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. One not only has a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws, conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. He said, uh, how does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. Mm -hmm. In other words, why would God tell you to do something in his law and then tell you to submit to a government that tells you not to do what he just got done telling you to do? Right? So you yeah. only obey the government as long as the government's telling you to do something that lines up with God's word. And so John Calvin and the Calvinists began to study how to have a government without a king. It's called a covenant form of government, and they look back to that first 400 years out of Egypt before King Saul. You get blessings from God. You voluntarily share them with your neighbor because you're doing it as unto God. You get rights from God, and you're fair to your neighbor because you're accountable to God who's not a respecter of persons. So this covenant form of government was studied and adapted by these Calvinist Puritans, and so, in a sense... Um, King Saul, way back in the book of Judges, right, the yeah. first kings, he's the divider between England and America. So these Calvinist Puritans that founded New England looked to the Bible for their authority. But they looked to the pre-King Saul period, that four, first 400 years out of Egypt. The kings of England looked to the Bible for their authority, but they looked to this anointed King Saul and on period. 
Huh. Both look in the Bible, yeah. but one is the pre-King Saul and one is the post-King Saul. Interesting. And, and um, so anyway, uh, the, uh, uh, so this concept is developed into a congregational form of church government, going back to the congregation or the assembly of, of Israel. And so when Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church, the word church in Greek is ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. And so E-K means out of, Ecclesi means a calling. And so in the Greek city of Athens, they had 6,000 citizens, and they would call them out of their homes to the marketplace, and they would decide what's going to happen, and they'd divvy up responsibilities. You fix the walls, you fix the Navy, you take care of the kids, right? And so Jesus is talking about building his body, that everybody's got to be a part, an eye, an ear, a foot. Everybody does something. And so this congregational form of church government is where the pastor teaches everyone to have their own relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ that died on the cross to pay for their sins, and then uh, coaches each person to get in the habit of reading the Bible every day for themselves and praying every day, and then plugging into the body and doing something. Because everything that's alive takes in and gives out, right? You know, yep. the, the, the Dead Sea is dead because it takes in and it does not give out. Right. Uh, a, tr- a tree sucks in water and carbon dioxide and gives out, you know, apples. And, and so every muscle to grow has to be exercised. And so this form of government, church government, is you don't just hear a sermon. You hear a sermon and put yourself in a position where there's a need. And then the Holy Spirit will use you to minister and to help meet that need. And um, this congregational form of church government was hated by the King of England. Um, he liked the hierarchical church government, where it's clergy lady. The clergy does all the ministry, mm-hmm. and the lady is lazy and watches. And this hierarchical structure, you have the king at the top, and then the Archbishop of Canterbury, Archbishop of York, and the deaners and vicars and curates and rectors and priests. Your relationship with God is through this structure. And, um, and the clergy does all the ministry, and the lady just watches. This is why I was not happy with the COVID response. Because the COVID response was, stop gathering together and just listen to a good sermon on a screen. Hmm. And as good as the sermon is, you're taking in, but you're not giving out. What, are you going to witness to your pillow? <laughs> no, no you, you need to take in, but you need to give out. And, um, My pastor sitting here shaking his head with a big smile on his face because he said <laughs> about the same thing uh, not too long ago, but uh, in a sermon. Uh, Bill Federer, let's take a quick break, if you don't mind, and uh, just keep your place. I want to tell folks who's, who's talking. Uh, this is Bill Federer, Christian historian, author of 30 books, has Amerisearch.com, and I've known of Bill for many years and read a lot of his books. I'm giving away um, several of his books. The first folks that emailed me at MikeAzinger1965 at gmail.com. MikeAzinger1965 at gmail.com. I have autographed copies uh, to give away, and uh, his books are all good. They're just all good, and you can sign up uh, for his email, uh, the American Minute email. I get that also and have for years. Um, it's just a daily – it's comprehensive. It's it's just you can learn a lot every email. All right, so let's take a quick break here, Tim, and we'll have Bill Federer back on the other side to, um, to continue. You're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show, Don't Go Away. 
Hi, this is Brian Leversee, Senior Pastor here at Fellowship Baptist Church, and I would love to invite you to come and worship with us. Our services are Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and then again in the evening at 6 p.m. We have our Sunday school programs at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 p.m. Exciting things are happening at Fellowship Baptist, and I would love to see you there. God bless. All right, folks, welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Asinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversee, and we are honored to have on the show again Bill Federer, and uh, he is a Christian ex- historian extraordinaire. He has Amerisearch.com. He's been around decades. He's written 30 books in 30 years, he says. has a daily TV show and a daily uh, radio minute that he does and gives Christian history and I've learned uh, copious amounts from Bill Federer. I bought uh, I saw him just a, recently not uh, several months ago at a conference again and uh, asked him to come on. He's never told me no. He used to have him on at my show in Indiana back in uh, 2011, 12, whatever. But my uh, the books are autographed by Bill. Um uh, they're on socialism. His book on socialism, the real history from Plato to the present. If there's a book that America needs to read today, it is that. Uh, we are swerving quickly into that uh, abyss called socialism. But um, to to get the books, first emails I get at Mike Azinger nineteen sixty five at gmail dot com. Mike Azinger nineteen sixty five at gmail dot com, and uh, Whoever emails first will get these. And also, if we have a bunch of emails, we'll give away his book that uh, he's teaching on right now uh, on this broadcast. And the book is out of, uh, the, the lesson is out of his book, Who is the King? And I'm reading it right now. I have it in front of me. Um, you can't go wrong with a Bill Federer book. So, Bill, if you will, just continue uh, your fascinating talk. And we're going we're gonna to sit and listen. Well, uh, Mike and Pastor Brian, it's great to be with you. And uh, we did switch our website to AmericanMinute.com. Oh, my apologies. to remember. Okay. AmericanMinute.com. Yes. And uh, so you have these Calvinist Puritans and their congregational form of church government, and the king does not like them. He says, I'll make them conform themselves or I'll harry them out of the land. And so they're coming to America. Uh, the pilgrims were actually going to go to Jamestown and submit to the king's government. They get blown off course. They land on the shores of Massachusetts. They try sailing south. It's too stormy. They almost sink. And the captain says, everyone off the boat. And they said, well, who's going to be in charge? Uh, there's no king-appointed person in our little group. Well, they do something unique. Uh, they form their own form of government. It's called the Mayflower Compact. We, in the presence of God, covenant ourselves together into a civil body politic they use that word covenant yeah you have 102 of them in the boat Mm -hmm. there's no government there's no king appointed person and they decide to take their church government where they covenant together and they make it their civil body politic government oh right so they so basically america started as a as a church plant (laughs) now it's interesting uh that, that their pastor over in holland that had fled from England was John Robinson, and his church split off of the church that was pastored by John Smith, not the Virginia Pocahontas John Smith, a different one. 
And this John Smith, along with another guy, John Merton and Thomas Hellwise, were the founders of the Baptist Church in England. And they, uh, two of the three of them died in the Newgate prison because the king didn't like them. And, and so uh, the John Smith Church branching off is the John Robinson Church. And the John Robinson Church went to Holland and after 12 years came to America. We call them the Pilgrims. So basically, America started as a Baptist church plant. <laughs> and, um, wow. and behind that. <laughs> That's great. And so it's um, a polarity change in the flow of power. Instead of top-down rule by kings, it's bottom-up rule by we. Just the 102 of us in this little boat, we're going to covenant ourselves into a civil body politic. It's the difference between a dead pyramid ruled top-down through fear and a living tree bottom-up, where every tiny root and helps suck in nutrients to keep the tree alive. Everybody participates. And so this covenant former church government, Pastor John Robinson, said we are knit together as a body in covenant of the Lord, tied to care for each other's good. Puritan founder John Winthrop, this love among Christians is a real thing. Uh, we must account ourselves knit together by this bond of love. We must make one another's condition our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together. We shall find the God of Israel is among us. Anyway, so this is the 1600s. This is amazing in world history where you actually come up with people ruling themselves without a king, and it goes back to these uh, church pastors in New England, which goes back to the Reformation, which goes back to ancient Israel, the first 400 years out of Egypt. Well, the 1700s, you have the new light. So uh, after a century, the, the Calvinist Puritans got nicknamed Old Lights, uh, and they were real plan-focused. They were so plan-focused that they got a little dry. And, and even the extreme was God even planned who's going to go to heaven, so don't even bother evangelizing. <laughs> and you had a guy named, um, a guy named uh, David Brainerd was uh, expelled from Yale because he said his professor was as spiritual as a chair. <laughs> and the students at Yale got reprimanded because they were caught going into the town of New Haven and confronting strangers with the gospel. Uh-oh. It's like they weren't in a drunken brawl. They weren't, like, smashing yeah. windows. No, yeah. no. They, they, they were approaching people with the gospel, and they got reprimanded by the, the, the staff there at Yale. And so the new lights, the new lights were the revivalists, and they said it's more than a plan. You have to have an experience with Jesus, and when you do, your life will change. And, as a matter of fact, it'll change so much you won't do the worldly things you used to do, like go to bars and brothels and loot theater and get involved in government. Wait, what was that last thing? Yeah, government, <laughs> so full of worldly people. If you're really a Christian, you won't be involved. Mm. And so if you've met somebody that says, oh, we just preach the gospel here, we, we don't get involved in politics, that goes back to these new light revivalists. Mm. It does not go back to the Calvinist Puritans. The Calvinist Puritan model was, everybody, let's get involved. We could rule ourselves without a king. Right? Everybody's involved. They actually had one building called the Meeting House. That's where the pastor would teach the Bible, and that's where they would gather together and do their city business. Yeah. Synagogue means Meeting House. That's where the rabbi would teach the law. That's where they would do their city business. But it got so plan-focused that it got dry, and then these new lights come in, and they bring revival. But the, the, the baggage part was, okay, once you have a spiritual experience, you're not going to be involved in it. You're going to withdraw. And it goes back to Germany. Again, Martin Luther starts the Reformation in 1517. And then you have some German princes said, this is my chance, I'm going to break from Rome. Uh, kingdom of mine, uh, you're all now Lutherans. And the people say, okay, we're Lutheran, but what do we believe? 
So for the people in these new kingdoms, it's not a personal experience like Martin Luther. It's just a state doctrine. So this mm -hmm. revival movement starts called pietism. It says when you're really Christian, you're not going to do worldly things, including government. So it turned into the German concept of the two kingdoms, the kingdom of the government, the kingdom of the church, the two don't touch. And there were even German princes that donated money to the pietists so they would teach their people not to get involved in the prince's business. And four centuries of that allowed Hitler to seize power and uh, put Jews on train cars, and they would go past the churches crying out for help. And the church's response was, well, that's the government doing that. We're the church, and we can't get involved in government things. So let's just sing praise songs to Jesus louder. Yeah. Wow. Can anybody see there's something wrong there? Yeah. And, um, now, now, the Calvinist Puritans, um, they were good. They had a plan to rule ourselves without a king. Bad, it was so plan-focused, it became spiritually dry. These Lutheran pietists, it was good. They emphasized a personal relationship with Jesus. It was bad. It was so personal. It was only personal, and they would not get involved. Um, now, they did influence the Wesleys, and then they did influence the Great Awakening Revival, and so the, these Moravian Lutheran pietists did make an impact. Um, but the... The, there's actually a middle of the road. In the middle of the road is, yes, it's a personal experience with Jesus, but yes, you want to be involved so your kids have a chance to have a personal experience with Jesus. Hmm. Because if you don't get involved and they push this trans agenda and whatever else in the schools, they're going to say there's not only not a God, if there is, he's messed up. He's putting men and women's bodies and you have to have operations to fix it. And, and, and if sex outside of marriage is not sin, arguably there are no sins. And if there's no sins, you don't need a Savior. Yeah. And so, under the name of tolerance, they're pushing an anti-Christian gospel. Yeah. They're, they're teaching, they're saying, if you're really Christian, you'll let us teach the gospel of the Antichrist to your kids. Oh, and, um, and so, the most important thing is to bring people to Christ, but the second most important thing is to preserve the freedom to do the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And so, we want to have a personal experience with Jesus, but we want our kids to have a chance to have a personal experience with Jesus. Now, I ask a question at the end of my talk, is, is it holier not to be involved? And the question is, what do you do with Numbers chapter 30? It's an obscure chapter, the half a dozen scenarios where silence equals consent. One is if a daughter is still living in her father's house and binds herself with a vow. In the day the father hears about it, if he's silent, her vows stand. Mm -hmm. But if he disallows it, she's releasing the vow. That's come down to us as vows in a wedding ceremony. The pastor tells the church members, if you're silent, you're giving consent to this wedding, these wedding vows. Well, if a church member's silence gives consent to wedding vows, it gives consent to other things. And if they're killing babies and the church members are silent, they're giving consent to killing babies. And it says in Leviticus 20, if any Israelite sacrifices a child to Molech, they should be put to death. But if any member of the community closes their eyes when that man sacrifices his child to Molech, I myself, the Lord, will set my face against him and his family and cut them off from Israel. So all you have to do is close your eyes while they kill the kid, and you're guilty. Wow. And um, the Apostle Paul, Acts 22, is talking to the Lord. He says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. Paul didn't throw a stone. He didn't say a word. But he knew standing there silent while they were killing um, Stephen that he was guilty. Yeah. Mordecai tells Esther, If you remain silent, then you and your family will die, and the Lord will raise up somebody else to deliver the Israelites. Um, an obscure chapter, uh, Numbers 20. Moses and Aaron are called to the door of the tabernacle. Lord says, Moses, gather the assembly, thou and Aaron, uh, speak to the rock, water will come out. Well, Moses gathers the assembly, lifts up the, the rod, it hits the rock once, smote it twice, water comes out, end of the chapter, the Lord says, Aaron will not enter the land because both of you rebelled. 
against me at the waters of Meribah. Like, both? Aaron mm-hmm. didn't do anything. He didn't say anything. Yeah, that's just it. He heard God tell Moses, speak to the rock. When Moses lifted up the rod the first time, probably took Aaron by surprise. That was Moses' sin. When Aaron lifted up the rod the second time, Aaron knew what was coming. And he was silent. He didn't protest. He didn't say, whoa, Moses, hold it. I was there. I heard God. Moses's was a sin of commission. Aaron's was a sin of omission. You have that again with Jeremiah and his prophecy. There's this wicked king, Jehoiakim, having it read, the prophecy, and he's taking a little pen knife and slicing it up and sticking it in the fire and says, the princes of Israel stood around watching and none of them showed any fear. None of them tore their clothes, right? And so they were guilty because they stood around silent while this king was burning Jeremiah's prophecy. There's Leviticus 5. It says, when a person sins because they did not speak up, um, even when he was an eyewitness, uh, if he failed to testify, he is guilty. Uh, a translation of that in Leviticus 5, it says, uh, if you hear someone takes God's name in vain with cursing and swearing and you're silent, it's the same as you taking God's name in vain. And um, that even convicts me. Proverbs 29, whoever is a partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and berayeth it not. Yeah. And uh, there's a scene from Indiana Jones where Sean Connery, the father, is in that little carriage next, and, and, and Harrison Ford's riding the motorcycle. And Harrison Ford takes uh, God's name in vain, and, and Sean Connery reaches up and slaps him. And then the music gets really serious, and then he points at his face and goes, That's for blasphemy. Right? He hears <laughs> cursing, and he berates it. I mean, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. So the verse everybody in the Bible knows is, is Le- Leviticus 19:18, Love your neighbor as yourself. You know the verse right before it? It says, confront your neighbor directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Mm-hmm. Another translation, rebuke your neighbor directly so you will not incur their, the guilt of their sin upon you. New Testament, if your brother sinned, rebuke him. So in other words, we're loving everybody, but we're confronting everybody. We're rebuking mm-hmm. them if they sin. Right? They say, oh, the kid's going through transition. Just love them. Just love them. No, you love your kid and you correct your kid. You don't let them put anything in their mouth. You don't let them cross the street if there's traffic. You you love them and you correct them. You know, Bill, that's it's what uh, – I just want to interrupt real quick because uh, that's what Washington did. You remember the, the story of him having dinner guests over and somebody somebody cursed or something at the table and he, he put down his utensil and made it made like a loud noise and he rebuked that guy right there. Do you remember – you know that. I know you know the story, but – but uh, uh, that Washington never, did not let his troops uh, curse. Is that correct? Am I right there? Yeah, he forbade profanity and swearing and gaming in the camp. He said there's enough to do in service of God and country without re- re- resorting to these uh, uh, vile practices. And so, yeah, you're right. And, um, you know, the... Uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. Hmm. Titus 2, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. 1 Timothy 5.20, them that sin rebuke before all. And uh, Titus 1.11, there are many vain and unruly talkers who subvert whole households, wherefore rebuke them sharply. <laughs> and then I like 1 Timothy 5.1, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. So um, entreat doesn't mean you're silent. It means you're polite in approaching him. And, uh, and so their tactic, 
their tactic is to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. Mm. They say, if you're really Christian, you will be silent while we teach the trans agenda to the kids. I mean, think of it. Here are teachers who can't even define what a woman is, and they think they can determine if a boy is supposed to be a girl, and they want you to be silent right. while they transition these kids without your knowledge. And yet, the question is, would Jesus teach that agenda? Jesus taught in Matthew 19, he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. So they're telling you, if you're really Christian, you'll be silent while they teach something other than what Jesus taught. Yeah. Yet Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones that believes in me to sin, better that a millstone be put around your neck and be thrown in the depths of the sea. So it's going to be a rude awakening for church members who think they're spiritual by not getting involved. When they realize by their silence they're going to be consent to all that sin, mm. they're inviting the judgment of God on their head. Wow. Hmm. So a scriptural case can be made that Jesus cares about the children. God chose Abraham because he knew he would teach his children. And so as more power concentrates into fewer hands globally, God's counterbalance is to get more people involved locally. And I ran for Congress three times, didn't win, came close, but spent lots of money. And well, you tell that to most people, they're like, check that off my list, I'll never do it. So <laughs> well, forget those races. You drive by that school every day, and if you know they're teaching something other than what Jesus taught, and you're silent, you're giving consent to that. And if churches can just take responsibility, you know, there's usually more people in the churches in a neighborhood than vote in a school board election. Mm -hmm. And so instead of saying, oh, this is terrible, what's going on? It's like, look, just pick some mama bear and get behind her and, and tell the churches, let's lay aside our differences. When none of us are happy with what's going on, let's just agree on this one mom and let's vote her in. And whenever there's a school board meeting, let's pack the thing out with church members and show our support. And... Um, and so I think that this is a, a, an easy answer, and it's a doable thing. And if churches can just take responsibility for school board races, I think all the higher races will take care of themselves. The people that get the bug, they'll say, hey, I want to rent for a higher office, and they'll have learned how it all works, and they'll have made their connections and so forth. If the churches can just take responsibility for what's being taught to the children in their neighborhood. Yeah, I, I ran for Congress twice. I know a little bit about what you're going through, but your point about the school boards is is perfect and right on. And I think that I think that Christians uh, and Christian moms and dads too are starting to stand up all across the country. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you see the same thing? Yes, yes. I all over. I see. There's moms that are like, look, we were silent when you were doing your drag queen stuff until you got children involved. We were silent with you doing your trans surgeries until you started wanting to do it on children. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's like you're, t you're, you're touching the third rail. You, you're getting the mama bear stirred up. Leave the children alone. And then the thing is, is if church members are silent when they're doing this to the kids, you're giving your consent. You know, the Sound of Freedom movie that just came out and talked about the America, the United yeah. States being the number one place for sex trafficking of children. Mm. Once we know about it, we have to do something because if we're silent, we're giving consent to it. And you say, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, ask God, but you have to do something, right? Yeah. And the Holy Spirit will lead to the word. One of the names for Holy Spirit is paraclete, which means helper. So you don't just pray that things turn around and put your feet on a, on a couch. No, you pray and you do something. And you do everything you know how to do. There's a quote from Jonathan Trouble, governor of Connecticut, the only governor 
that was a British governor that switched over to become an American governor. And so this Governor Jonathan Trumbull, writing to George Washington, he said, to trust altogether to the righteousness of our cause without giving our utmost exertion would be tempting providence. So we pray and we trust God, but we go and give our utmost exertion. We do everything we can yeah. to try to turn this thing around. Hey, Amen. That's great. Mm, great. I mean, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, 1906, uh, gave a talk regarding lynchings. There were lynchings of black people. And he said, as the Methodist Bishop Galloway of Mississippi said, the mob lynches the Negro. Every Christian patriot in America needs to lift up his voice in loud and eternal protest against the mob spirit. If we were living back then and there were lynchings going on, would your church members be silent? Hmm. Or would they would they be silent, give their consent to the lynching? No, they, we need to stand up. We need to protest. The word Protestant comes from the word protest. Yeah. It was like, no, we're not going to go along with government mandate. Well, I think the persistence of the church, Bill Federer, is... Uh, has a lot to do with why Roe v. Wade was overturned. I mean, it took 50 years, but, but you know, a lot of believers didn't give up on that, and uh, it got overturned and, and back to the states. And look, uh, you know, if your state wants to still allow abortion, you can stand before God for that, but a whole lot of our red states uh, are saying no. West Virginia, Bill, right here, we passed an abortion law, here that had uh, exceptions of rape and incest because that's the best we could get but the first uh first quarter of 2022 there were 381 abortions in west virginia uh, west virginia after the bill passed a year later the first quarter of 2023 there were four abortions and uh, so these things these things matter and uh, christians standing up matter and and by the way june pride month a lot of Christians did stand up, and if you look at the polls, the belief system of, of uh, in our country, you know, the, the zeitgeist here has started to turn against uh, all this garbage. Like you said, the moms are saying, look, uh, no, not not to our children, no way, and, and dads too. And I think COVID had a lot to do with it. The, things changed in COVID. I mean, we had a lot of bad things happen, but but at the same time, God did a lot of good. Uh, uh, great things in uh, uh, during COVID. Yes, yes. Well, it's time that we really, you know, Jesus was asking the disciples, whom do men say that I am? And some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter said, well, you're the Christ. But let's look at this. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? Well, he stood up to the corrupt government leader, King Herod. Who was Elijah? He stood up to the corrupt government leader, King Ahab. Who was Jeremiah? He stood up to the corrupt government leader, King Zedekiah. <laughs> and they're saying, Jesus, you're like these other people. Uh. Right? Jesus stood up to the corrupt leaders. To the prideful, he was tough as nails. To the humble, he was as loving as can be. Wow. Right? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When people would approach Jesus humbly, he healed them. He raised them. He did all kinds of miracles for them. But if they were prideful and they were trying to catch, he was tough with them. Yeah. And so Jesus didn't spend all day petting lambs. His first sermon ended with them <laughs> wanting to push him off a cliff. Yeah. Another sermon ended with them picking up stones yeah. to stone him. Yeah. 
He's invited to somebody's house for dinner, and they said the, the host noticed Jesus didn't wash his hands. And Jesus said, you Pharisees are more concerned about the outside of the cup and not the inside. Yeah. You're like a tomb, pretty on the outside, inside, full of dead men's bones. And the lawyer says, well, Jesus, by saying that, you're insulting us lawyers. He goes, let me tell about your lawyers. Do you have burdens on people? Do you have any carry? You don't even lift a finger yourself. I mean, he's telling them pretty straightforward. And then that chapter ends, and you wonder if they ever got around to eating dinner. Right? I mean, <laughs> He wasn't you know, invited back. We are out of time, Bill Federer. Thank you so much, brother, for uh, for coming on with us. We had a blast. We'll have you back on if you don't mind. I know how busy you are, but you always take time for us, and we just love when you come on. Uh, Mike Azinger, 1965 at gmail.com to get one of Bill Federer's autographed books, um, one on uh, socialism, the other one, Who is the King in America? First four emails, we'll send you that copy. Um, give your information again real quick for folks who want to uh, purchase your stuff and find out more about you, Bill Federer. Oh, thanks. It's AmericanMinute.com. AmericanMinute.com. And get his email. I get his email, and that's just a daily uh, lesson on uh, on American history. If you read that every day, folks, you'll get uh, you'll get a great education, and it's free. But uh, buy some of his books too. Help him out. Thank you, Bill. God bless you, and we appreciate you so much. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, um, Mike and Pastor Brian, great to be with you. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Have a good day. So um, that's it. We had him scheduled for a half hour, but as usual, it was awesome. It he's, was awesome. He's so good. Um, but I know there was a little echo in the in the phone there. I don't know if you could hear it on the radio. We heard it in here. But, but man, he, he's just so good. Gives great history. That's what. Uh, that's something you, you can listen to a hundred times just mm. to get it in your head. But, uh, and they can listen to it again later on in the week if they yes. want to rehear it. Right. Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3. And we podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. we got to get out of here. We are out of time. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. Have a great day. I will choose.